Welcome to Major Choices, a podcast about designing the career you want. My name is Nathan Langfitt. And I'm Rachel Gerber. We're career coaches here at Indiana University. In each episode, we will be discussing how to explore your options, learn about yourself, and start to head down a career path that feels right for you. Welcome to Major Choices, Episode 4. In today's episode, we're going to continue the conversation that we started at the beginning of this season, digging deep into learning about yourself. We believe that understanding who you are is the key to unlocking your potential into what you do with your major and your career. Today, it's all you ever wanted to know about your personality. We hope that you'll stick around. Rachel, it's so good to see you. How's the week going? It's great. How about you? I am doing all right. It's really been fun to go through the different steps of our process here. Right. Um, If you listened a couple episodes ago, we started talking about values. Uh, We talked then about interests. And today we are going to talk about personality. It's been so much fun. you know, talking with our various guests that we've had here, exploring their own major to career path. And I am really excited to talk about how we're wired or Mm. our personality today. But you know what, as career coaches, we care about you, our listener. And, you know, we really think that we're starting here where we are in these last few episodes, because that is the only place that we really believe that you can start is exploring who you are, right? First and foremost, once you have a deeper understanding about your strengths, your motivation, what really matters to you, what sets you on fire, how you're uniquely wired, which we're explaining about today, it's only then that we can then authentically start to venture into finding solid major and career path. Ahead. Yeah. You know, it's it's so important that we figured this out because on average, we spend 90,000 hours in that our jobs. A lot That's a time. A lot of time. And so we want to make sure it's a good fit, not only because we want to be successful in the work we do, but also so we can care for ourselves. And I think so more so than anything in personality, this really matters. In career development, we start talking about who you are rather than not who you think you should be or who other people or other, you know, like our family might want us to be. We cannot stress that enough. And so far, we've talked about values, what brings us deep satisfaction in the jobs we do. Mm-hmm. We talked about our interests, the indicator of how much we will actually like what we do. And we talked about how aligning our skills um, to strengths in our work and how all of this will give us a sense of job competency. But today we're going to explore that final letter in the acronym of personality, understanding how our personality enables us to identify and find the best career fit. Absolutely. So like what we affectionately call our VIPs, right? Our values, our interests, personality today and skills. Yep. So, you know, Nathan, I don't know about you, but I'm a personality junkie. <laughs> you know, I always take those free little personality quizzes that seem to pop up on social media Which and frozen things like two that. frozen character are you? Absolutely. Color, what spirit animal, yes. all those things. They're just so much fun. And I think um, we're going to be jumping into a, a particular personality um, type assessment called the Myers-Briggs today. Mm. I'm just going to give a very brief overview. And I do want to say a disclaimer here right now that like, both you nor myself, like we're not experts in this field. Like we know a little bit about it. Um, I'm a certified person practitioner to be able to, to give the assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am not like the end all be all of Myers-Briggs. Okay. But I think it is helpful just to sort of give a little bit of a taste mm-hmm. in terms of understanding how we are each uniquely wired and how that impacts then a good career fit for us of how our personality can best um, express itself. Mm -hmm. And so um, oftentimes I think as career coaches in the career development center, 
as one who are certified in administering the Myers-Briggs, the Myers-Briggs, we've chosen that is because it is one of the top personality assessments in the world. It's been administered now for over 60 years to over like 2 million people. That's, yeah. a, that's a lot of time. And it's a tool that was created by Isabel Briggs Myers and Catherine Briggs based on Carl Jung's theory of psychological type. So don't worry. This is like I said, this is not going to be like a deep dive. You don't have to just go to sleep right now. Um, <laughs> But in this episode, I like I said before, I do want to briefly touch on what the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator is, or MBTI for short, and what it reveals about understanding ourselves and finding career success. So just to give a brief overview, the MBTI has four different letters, and it measures our personal preferences in four different ways. The first one is how do we gain energy? How do we prefer to gain energy? The second one is how do we prefer to take in information? The third way is how do we prefer to make decisions? And the fourth way is how do we prefer to interact with the outside world? Mm-hmm. Um, and why does this knowledge help us with the quest of finding a good major or a career, you might be wondering? Um, We each have a preferred way, like I said, of expressing ourselves, which I'll talk about in a second. And we find more satisfaction as we're able to be in jobs or careers that allow us to express our dominant preferences, right? And this actually goes just more for our job or career. This is actually just like the whole of life, things that we're interested in, right? We want, our body is like, it wants to do like the easy thing, right? And so we're going to enjoy when we're able to utilize more of our top preferences. Is yeah. this making sense? No, it does. And I think, okay. you know, it's one of these things where it's, there's not a good or a bad personality. No. There's a congruent personality. Yeah, and seeking that. that level of congruence is so important. This idea that being in an environment that is going to fully take advantage of the strengths of one personality mm-hmm. is going to help them to be more effective, reduce burnout, help them to feel better in their day-to-day work. And But again, none of this is a hard indictment. I've had students before walk into my office and say, I got these letters, therefore I can't have this job. Oh, yeah, and that's right, not yeah. the case. No, because uh-uh. really it's all about seeing your strengths within your personality and how they can influence how you work within whatever career you might have. Sure. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, um, so I, I, maybe I'm just going to jump in here and give a little bit of an overview of each of these dichotomies here about these letters that we often hear. If you do come into and see your career coach, at least at the career development center, we're able to offer you the actual assessment. Um, not just like a quick thing that you would find free on, you know, social media, not a BuzzFeed quiz. Not a BuzzFeed quiz. (laughs) Um, so we're able to really go deep, deep dive. But right now we're just going to give sort of a 10,000 foot view about this. So within um, the Myers-Briggs, the first letter to consider, and actually listeners, if you have like a piece of paper or a pen, like mm-hmm. get it out and make make a note. Yeah. Um, so the first question is about how do you prefer to gain energy? So this is either the dichotomy of either an extrovert or an introvert. And we often hear those words, right? And we often think of, oh, extroverts are the real like Oh, larger than life personality, super gregarious, you know, like social, social. And the introverts are like the shy and the quiet and sort of reserved. Um, Maybe, but maybe not. Mm -hmm. The real question that we're asking in this introvert versus um, extrovert is how do you prefer to gain energy? So think about it. End of the week. It's been a long week. You've had a lot of classes. You had a lot of homework, a lot of tests, whatever. You need a break. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the way that you are going to, you prefer to recharge your energy? Friday night, is it, I'm going out with friends, I'm getting my friends, my my gal pal together, and we're going to go out, we're going to go, you know, go out to eat together and come home and do whatever, right? Or is it, you know what, 
I need to put my pajamas on and I need to crawl in my bed with my laptop and watch Netflix for the next like three hours. That. Okay, so that's you? That's me 110%. Okay. And I'm all about, let's, hey, gals, let's get together. <laughs> let's like go out. Let's have fun, yeah. right? So I would have a preference towards extroversion. You would have a preference towards introversion. introversion. Yeah. Absolutely. So write down that letter, E or I. Okay, that's your first letter. The second letter combo would be either S or N, sensing versus intuition. Mm. And so sensors, sensors are people who notice the small details of life. They're very detailed. They're very in the here and the now, right? Mm. Um, They're very practical. They're sensible. Whereas in intuitives, there are people that love the connections. They love future future thinking, brainstorming, big picture, right? Um, whereas in the sensors might notice, oh, you have a new watch on today. Mm-hmm. An intuitive person might walk into a party and be like, ooh, like I can sense the vibe in here, whether yeah. that's for good or for ill, right? Yeah. They can sort of have that thing. Yeah. So S or N, what do you think you are? Oh, I'm definitely an N. And mm-hmm. I think one of the activities that I love to help people kind of do like a quick take on mm-hmm. this one is if you were to look at a painting in an art museum, would you notice the door is red? Mm-hmm. The there's a dog right there. The sign says those words on it. Or would you start to form a story between the things that you see in the uh, painting? Because mm-hmm. that to me very much is like a sensing versus intuition kind yeah. of definition. Yeah. So definitely an end for me because I I'm a big picture person. I'm a person that's always making meaning out of things that probably don't have any meaning. And so that's definitely me. What about you? A total end. Yeah. I love the futuristic brainstorming sort of making, uh-huh. like you said, those big connections. Yeah. So. All right. That's the second one. The third one is how do we make decisions? So if this, the sensing your intuition, that's how we gain our information. Mm-hmm. How we actually make decisions with that information is based on either thinking or feeling, yep. T or F. Okay. So thinkers, they are very analytical. They're... Um, they love to sort of look at things from all different angles, sort of at an almost an arm's length point of view, right? Um, and for instance, if there's like a policy, that's the policy, right? It doesn't matter um, if you have so many other reasons because you were sick and you didn't turn in your paper on time. The policy is the policy, yeah. right? Um, and so it's sort of like the across the board sort of thinking perspective. Whereas in a feeler or the feeling, they – Obviously, they're just like heart, right? Um, now, it doesn't mean that you can't think and thinkers thinkers don't have feelings, right, yeah. too. But from a feeling perspective, how you make decisions, it's almost more of an individual sort of case-by-case scenario. Mm-hmm. Like if you come back to this sort of policy example, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there are extenuating circumstances sometimes. Sometimes you do have to flex a little bit, right? Like yeah. you kind of insert yourself within that decision that you need to make, yeah. right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So are you more of a T, more of an F? Definitely more of an F. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I am a person that has the unfortunate capability to completely overlook all data if my gut is telling me something, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. can be dangerous sometimes. Sometimes I wish I was a little bit more of a T. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, and I think, and well, this is this gets really nerdy with my, like with the MBTI sort mm-hmm. of type, is that as we get older, we oftentimes integrate more mm. of like sort of the flip side of, yeah. of what we are. So that makes sense. Yeah. Anyhow. All right. The last one here is how do we prefer to interact with the outside world? Mm. Right. And so this is either perceiving or judging. And if you are a P um, perceiving, that means you like things that are open ended. You like sponta- spontaneity, right? You sort of like to, you're very flexible. Go with the flow, right? I even kind of think of it like in terms of like relationships too. Mm-hmm. You're okay with just being like ambiguous, like mm-hmm. yeah, on, off, whatever, you know? 
Whereas then J with judging, um, it doesn't mean you're judgmental. Mm. Let's clarify that. But people who have a preference towards judging means that they are, um, they in, enjoy structure. Mm -hmm. They enjoy, or they prefer order. They want to know the status of a relationship, they right? Are we D on? Are we off? That DTR Let me know what, yeah, yep. exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, in terms of making decisions, and yeah. this is why a lot of students who find themselves as a J um, come in extraordinarily stressed when they come into my office to talk about making a major because there's not a, a decision that's made. Yeah. They want that decision to be made. They actually find a relief after decisions are mm -hmm. made, right? Whereas in if you're more in the perceiving end, it's actually stressful to make a decision, yeah. right? So it's like... Um, there's still stress there, but the stress is there for different reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah. Are you a J or Total a P? Total J. Total, Total J. J. Because I'm the person that if I have reminded myself earlier in the day that I need to buy a loaf of bread, mm -hmm. I cannot stop thinking about it until I buy the loaf of bread. Hmm. I will be sitting there and I will accidentally call the student bread because ah! I'm, <laughs> I'm it's right there in the forefront. Right there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because that is for me, it is it is all about decision making, being decisive and really, yeah. I And for me, kind of in that same way, when mm -hmm. I was in periods of life where career and decision was a thing, mm -hmm. I really did feel that tension and anxiety because mm -hmm. it was like, I got to figure this out. Yep. And balancing that with kind of a bigger worldview that mm -hmm. this is very nonlinear is important. But it's, yeah, it absolutely, that is a part of my personality that it is, I like to have that certainty in how mm -hmm. I engage with other things. Absolutely. And I find myself in the J camp as well. Yeah. Um, I definitely like to have an order. I know, I, even though... Um, you know, I can definitely be spontaneous too. Is my preference to have a plan mm -hmm. and to sort of know how things are gonna uh, going to roll out. Yeah. And so the combination of your letters, right? Yeah. Like, so I would be ENFJ, you would be INFJ. INFJ. That's why we work so well together. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think it's really interesting in terms of this personality. Um, conversation in terms of what career or major might fits well for you. But I do want to have a, a little bit of a. Uh, I don't know, like a caution here. Mm -hmm. This is, we're more than the sum of our parts. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. So this is just, again, digging into our own self-knowledge. And so now we're going to sort of transition a little bit to talk about the so what. Mm -hmm. So like, how do we actually apply now that we know what our personality type, according to Myers-Briggs, would be? How does this actually mean or what is this how can this help us with mm -hmm. choosing a career fit? Yeah. Okay, that might be good. And... um I'm going to throw in another psychologist here named um, David Kersey. Mm. And what he did was he combined like these ancient observers of humanity as far back as like 450 BCE with Hippocrates that observed similar natures and persons, right? And he combined that with Myers-Briggs. And mm. he calls this like um, temperaments, right? We each have our... Are th there's four different temperaments um, according to personality where people, you know, sort of have similar sort of overall personality yep. types. And so Kersey, what he did is he took Myers-Briggs and um, he named them. And so if you have an S or a J, hang on here. If you have an S or a J in your personality, actually, yeah, an S or a J in your personality, um, he'll say you're what is called a traditionalist. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's traditionalist and S and a P is an experiencer. Mm -hmm. An N or an F is an idealist. Mm -hmm. Hey, now, that's what we are, right? Yep. And if you have an N and a T, that's what is called a conceptualizer. Mm -hmm. Now, hang on here with me, all right? So let's just briefly, briefly go over this, right? 
Because people with the same temperament and a great deal of, um, have a great deal of commonality, right? And and share core values. But again, this is not to put anybody in a box by any means. All personalities can go into all different career fields. Absolutely. Um, It's all a matter of energy. How much energy Mm -hmm. are we going to be giving, Mm -hmm. right, to this? Um, So anyhow, as we jump in here to talk about um, personality and temperaments, I do want to just have a nod that I'm pulling a lot of this from one of my favorite books about this called Do What You Are by Paul Teeger and Barbara Barron. Mm -hmm. And... um, Jumping in here, if you find that you are an SJ or a traditionalist, right? Traditionalists um, are have a motto which might be early to bed, early to rise, mm-hmm. right? These people value law in order and security and prosperity. They love structure and order and order their world, and they're driven to make decisions, right? They're um, they have a strong motivation to serve society's needs. So this is a traditionalist in the term. So. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're practical, they're organized, they're systematic, they pay attention to the regulations and the rules and the contracts and the rituals, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, And they make good managers. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm going with all this. I'm I'm going to be um, hooking personality types into career fields, okay? So traditionalists might be one that likes a high level of responsibility in their job usually within a stable company, like putting a traditionalist that like to know the plan and what's going to happen is not going to be a good assertive fit. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Right. Yes. So if you find that yourself that you're in a traditionalist and you're thinking about going into joining your, like your best friend startup business, you might want to think again, again, yeah. every personality can go into any different field, Yep. but it's probably going to cause more stress How at the end of the day. How much energy do you want to utilize? Yeah. Absolutely. So anyhow, um, and let's just use the fact of um, law enforcement, okay? Mm. 50% of law enforcement people are actually traditionalists, Mm. right? And think about it. Structure, Mm -hmm. order, right? Rules, Mm -hmm. regulations. They thrive in that environment, right? So understanding our personality types and our temperaments can be critical, and it can be one of those extra pieces. If you're completely like completely lost and you have no idea what you want to do, here's maybe a little bit of a glimmer of some career fields, right? Um, as far as fits, that might be good. Okay, that's traditionalists. Mm-hmm. Next one, experiencers. These are the S and the P's. So looking at your at your type, if you have an S and a P, these are called experiencers. And a motto for experiencers might be eat, drink, be merry. You know, mm-hmm. total like going the there's they're the most adventurous of the types. They live for action and just like the present moment, yep. right? They're all about like experiencing the fullness of life. Um, they're in their work. They want to be able to accomplish things like now. They want to see like the work that they're doing and the results yeah, immediately. Exactly. And um, they're really, really good at pivoting from like one challenge to the next, mm-hmm. right? And they can really see what's happening. They're great problem solvers. Like I said, they've got a lot of flexibility, courage, and resourcefulness. Mm-hmm. And a good job for them would be people would be um, situations where they're they're able to sort of be their own boss. Mm-hmm. Like they like that autonomy to be able to sort of flex and that variety and that action. Yeah. And they also. Um, like I said, they want to have a lot of fun, mm-hmm. right? So if a job's going to feel like really stuffy and like all buttoned up, like that might not be oh. a good career path for them. Yeah. They might love the startup with the ping pong table in the mm-hmm. break room. Oh, they would love Absolutely. that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, experiencers, right? In terms of like law enforcement, like 
25% hmm. of people go into law enforcement as well, which is fairly high. Yeah. But you'll notice that they go into it for a completely different reason than the mm-hmm. traditionalists. Mm-hmm. They want the action, yeah. right? They want to be jumping the fences. The they are the thrill seekers, yes. right? And so that's what really scratched their itch, even mm-hmm. though it's in the same sort of profession. Yeah. So I think that that can really um, be insightful as we think about mm-hmm. Different personalities go, personalities going into different career fields. There's maybe different motivators, yeah. right? Even within the same type of job. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's almost mm-hmm. more about not which careers are good for a personality, but more what within the career could a personality accentuate and therefore needs to be celebrated right. or possibly cared for. Right, yeah. right. And even if you think about like the SPs, like they want hands-on kind of stuff, uh-huh. right? So thinking about if you're an SP now in school, like you're going to be loving labs. You're going to be loving those air experiential classes, yeah, like to get totally. in, to do it, that are moving. Okay. Real quick here, idealists. Those are the NFs. Nathan, this is you and me. Mm-hmm. All right. So idealists, we are, um, our motto might be to thine own self be true, right? We have high values on sort of this, Perpetual search for the meaning of life. Yes. We want to, I kind of think of ourselves as Oprah, right? Like we want to like make the world and make ourselves like, you know, the best that we can be exactly. and stuff like this, yeah. right? We're, we, we're excellent communicators and we can be thought of as like this catalyst for what we hope to be a positive change in the world, right? Mm-hmm. We oftentimes, uh, NFs, bring out the best in others. We motivate others to try to do their best work. We're excellent at resolving conflicts and helping people feel really good about themselves, yeah. okay? Um, we're charismatic and receptive and accepting. Good jobs for idealists or the NFs are people are ones that are have a personal meaning, mm. right? That deeper sense of, of conviction rather than something that's just... Um, maybe routine or or expected. Mm-hmm. Um, We're not people that are just here for the paycheck. No, absolutely. We yeah. have to have like a deeper sort of connection and yes. meaning to that. Yes. Um, we value harmony, right? Um, we don't necessarily flourish in super competitive environments. Mm-hmm. Um, and we gravitate toward jobs that allow us to help other people, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, a lot of us are helpers. Um, so when we think about law enforcement, you want to guess about the percentage of, of NFs that are going to law enforcement? Oh, but they do it from like a motivated, like make the world a better place space. I bet it's actually a decent number, maybe 10%. It is exactly 10%. Oh, there we go. Good. However, yeah. almost like very few NFs are actually on the beat, mm. right? Most of the time they're in like the HR department, okay. right? Makes like sense. they're they're doing that recruiting, they're yep. doing the training. Mm-hmm. They're the they're the um Oh, what was the name? Like McGruff or whatever. Like went into the schools. Outreach. Outreach, yeah. prevention. They're doing the more big picture stuff. Absolutely. That, makes sense. Yeah. that connection with people. Yeah. Finally, conceptualists, conceptualizers. So these are the NTs. Mm. Okay. So the NTs, the motto might be be excellent in all things, mm. right? These are the independent. They're very have very high standards for themselves and others. They're excellent at seeing like the possibilities and the complexities and designing and problem solving. Okay. They are visionaries. They're innovators. They love planning and building systems, right? They love challenges. Mm-hmm. Give them a challenge, and they are going to knock it out of the park. Um, good jobs for conceptualizers are those NTs. They need they need autonomy. Mm-hmm. Don't get in their way. Yep. Don't micromanage them. Right. Um, they need a lot of intellectual stimulus stimulation. Um, they want to generate their own ideas. Those are the things that are really going to be satisfying yeah. for them. Um, and they need to be competent. Mm-hmm. Like and in terms of feeling like their competence is valued and recognized and understood. Um, they want to lead. 
-hmm. Like those are the people that are going to be leaders like through and through. So in terms of the law enforcement, there's 20% within law enforcement, but where do you think they land within that? Mm, Upper leadership. Upper leadership. Exactly. They're the ones that are like, they're, they're strategically visioning, like Mm -hmm. this is where we're going. Um, Thinking about the issues, the long, long range turn. Yeah, absolutely. How do we going to move through these situation problems? So that is a little bit of a nutshell of personality types and Mm -hmm. how understanding our own unique personality and temperaments really fits within a career sort of field. Yeah. And I think this is, again, just a great moment to really remind everyone that this is a lot of information to sort out by yourself. And while it's a lot of fun to take a quiz on a website, Mm -hmm. come talk to a career coach about Mm -hmm. this because this is... This is our wheelhouse is Mm -hmm. helping students to really understand what are the strengths of a personality and what are the ways to care for your personality in the work you do. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Nathan, this has been a really fun, like little conversation that we've had about personality. And it's fun to, fun to see the, us and I and, FJ here in my minutes. So. <laughs> I know we're the sneaky one. We're like one of the lower percentages. We're, like, <laughs> right. we're the the unicorns of the. I've heard that before. It's funny. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks. Want to gain some skills and make some cash? Join over ten thousand students that found work through Indiana University's student employment website. It is the one stop you need for on and off campus jobs, work study, community service opportunities, and much more. Even just working eight to 10 hours a week can help you to develop skills, make connections, and get paid doing it. Visit studentemployment.cdc.indiana.edu. Again, that is studentemployment.cdc.indiana.edu. Get started today. It's time for Hey Coach. Each episode, we take one of your burning questions and answer it on the podcast. Today's question comes from Sydney, a first year from Northern Virginia. Hey, Rachel and Nathan. I keep getting emails about going to career fairs on campus. What is a career fair? And do I need to go even if I'm not ready to graduate and get a real job? What do I bring? Or can I just delete these emails? Hey, Sydney, thank you so much for your question. And yeah, let's talk career fairs because that is something that is going to come up and it's something that we want to make sure that you feel ready for. And I think more than anything, I know that, Rachel, I really want to take a moment to help our students know that it's okay that you're feeling some nerves. It's Absolutely. okay that it's a little bit mm-hmm. overwhelming. And I think that the more that you can kind of demystify this beast that is a career fair, the less overwhelming it's going to be. Absolutely. I like to tell my students to make sure you go to the career fair. Oftentimes in the spring and in the fall are good um, career fair sort of times where mm-hmm. lots of the different schools are sort of hosting these things. And you want to take advantage of it because you do not want your first career fair experience to be when you're looking for a job, yeah. right? So go. Yeah. I think often students will say things to me, they'll go to one and then they come back and they say, well, I didn't really do anything. And it's like, honestly, mm-hmm. even if you just go to a career fair and just get your feet wet in it, just kind of get used to the environment, you're doing yourself a lot of good because then maybe later on in your college career, or honestly, even if you ever attend a career fair after college, you have more comfort with this whole idea of walking up to somebody and really kind of, you know, selling yourself. I um talk, There's a career coach here often that says like, we're all salespeople because mm-hmm. the first thing that every one of us has to sell is ourself. And I think yep. that can be a helpful mindset when talking about a career fair because you're often going to get maybe 90 seconds, mm-hmm. maybe two minutes if you're lucky, to connect with an employer and also 
collect information from them, but then give them some information about you. Um, one of the great exercises about this is the elevator pitch. Rachel, you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, there's something about the elevator pitch, you know, which is about maybe 30 seconds. You want to be brief. You want to be concise. You want to tell the pertinent information. Don't start off by saying, well, I'm from southeastern Pennsylvania and I have a cat named Larry. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So do you want to maybe, Nathan, give a few of the top points about elevator pitches? Sure. In an elevator pitch, I think it's important to immediately reference, know the employer you're talking to and what they might be looking for, and then reference specific examples of the skills that you might have developed from something. And that even could be your part-time job Mm -hmm. at the IMU, or that could be, it doesn't have to be an internship-related experience to really connect it back together. But I think it's about talking about the skills that you're hoping to develop, the skills that you already possess, and then also just really showing them your enthusiasm and bonus points for your knowledge of the employer you're talking to. Absolutely. And I think too, if you can at the end right there, you know, sort of maybe throw in something that's maybe a little bit memorable, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe there's something that you really enjoy um, or that there's something, a particular skill that you are good at. That that can be sort of a helpful thing too. Yeah. And I also um, encourage students to to ask or state sort of a question back to them, mm-hmm. you know, like because this is also an opportunity that you can continue to learn and grow about their industry. Yeah. And it's really a gold mine, you yeah. know, especially if you're more of a first year, second year student that's not ready to sort of jump out there into career land. Um, to ask them, you know, I would love as a student, you know, you could say, I would love to work in your industry one day. Um, I'm really, really excited to learn more about this. Right now, where I'm at, what kind of advice do you have for me who like what are some of these top experiences or top skills that you're looking for yeah. in your hires you know yeah it's really okay to go mm-hmm. to a career fair and be like that you're the consumer in that moment like just consuming a lot of information especially if you're a first or a second year student but you do want to be careful yeah i mean because yeah. especially if there's you know 15 people behind you in line you know yeah. you got to be respectful of that time um but especially you know if it's sort of a more of a dead time and mm-hmm. you do have that ample space yeah. to take advantage of it. Yeah. Anybody that you meet at a career fair, let's just go through some quick, like kind of hit the basics. Always collect the business card. It's really easy after you've done your elevator pitch to completely forget to grab a business card. Yep. Or if you don't get a business card, quickly run off somewhere and scribble their name down, write it down, do something because you want to send a follow-up email. Hey, thank you so much for your time. It was great to meet Absolutely. you. And then also, um, you do want to dress up. I always encourage students, you really need to look professional at career fairs. Even if you're not at a moment in life where you're seeking an internship or a job, Mm -hmm. you still want to start making that impression now. Absolutely. So be memorable, be genuine, be yourself. um, And to learn more about preparing to go to a career fair, make an appointment with your career coach and we'll be happy to give you some personalized help and attention. Yeah. And in fact, maybe we can even practice like we can play the role of employer and you can go through your pitch. Have your own burning question and want it answered here on the podcast? Email your question to iucareer at indiana.edu with Hey Coach in the subject line. College is expensive. Want to learn more about money and personal finance? Check out IU Money Smarts, a free and confidential service for IU students. You can schedule a one-on-one appointment and talk to a team peer financial educator about budgeting, savings, credit cards, debt, student loans, and so much more. You know they say money is power. Take back the power by learning more about your financial future. Want to learn more? Visit moneysmarts.iu.edu. That's moneysmarts.iu.edu. Check it out today. 
Here on the Major Choices Podcast today, we have Travis Lawson. I'm so glad that Travis is here to talk to us today. Travis is the coordinator of the Collegiate Recovery Community at Indiana University. Travis, welcome to Major Choices. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Great. Yeah. So to get us started today, just tell all of our listeners about yourself. Like, what are the career pathway steps that got you to your role here at IU? Sure. Well, um, you know, my career uh, pathway has been long and winding, much like uh, most people's. So um, to give you a little background, I'm from Indiana. Um, I grew up in rural Indiana and was a first-generation college student. Um, I came to IU um, in the late 90s and started my undergrad degree. Um, and I kind of switched around majors several times. Um, I was an education major. Then I was in history. Um, then I went back to education um, and then landed on education. And so um, I have an undergrad degree in elementary ed. Um, I graduated um, with that degree in December of uh, 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really didn't know what to do with myself. Um, at the time, like teaching was a really competitive um, kind of environment to permeate. And um, I had a lease here until August of that year, and so I was just hanging around. Um, and I have I had every intention on getting um, an education job; it just wasn't in the cards. And so um, at that time, I had worked for Abercrombie and Fitch part time. Um, and then um, in December of that year, um, a position came up, actually at um, at a very large scale flagship store um, in Chicago. And so um, I took a position as a visual. Um, visual merchandising manager for um, Abercrombie & Fitch at a flagship store in Chicago. So I packed up everything and uh, moved there. And I lived there for a couple of years um, and and had a great experience and got to learn a lot, especially being at kind of a large scale um, 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 store. Um, So I got to work a lot with the um, home office and meet some different people. Um, And then, um, then I became a store manager with the company. Um, I um, moved back to Bloomington and did that um, here for a while. Then I moved to Indianapolis and ran a store there. Um, And then um, through a couple different offers, um, I got recruited for a different job um, outside of the company. Then I went to work for Urban Outfitters. Mm -hmm. And so I worked for Urban um, at um, their anthropology division, um, which... um, opened at Keystone Mall in Indianapolis. Um, and so I helped to open that store, and that was a really cool experience doing that. Um, and I was there for um, about a year. And then I just decided that retail was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a great experience, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the business world. I learned a lot about things I never knew that I would um, I never knew that I would learn um, and acquired a lot of really useful skill sets. But it just um, – the the time was right. And so I made my move and I left. Um, and so then I tell people, um, this sort of interim between there and when I went back to grad school was probably the point that I learned, like the, I would say, um, um, the most valuable information I've really ever acquired in my life, Mm -hmm. just about like navigating the world. Um, uh, I worked in the service industry for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I waited tables and I bartended for a long time. I did that for several years mm-hmm. um, before I went back to grad school, in part um, because I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I had made up my mind at that point. I didn't want to go back into education. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to do retail. And I was kind of at a loss of what to do. So instead of kind of choosing something that was a little bit higher stakes, I just chose something that would I knew would make me um, – enough money to live mm-hmm. and um, to have a good time. And so I did that for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and so then at that point, um, again, I had a great time doing it. 
um, I knew it was time to kind of make my next move. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had actually seen one of my high school guidance counselors, who I still talk to now, um, who's now retired. And um, I said, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going to go. And she suggested that I look into counseling. She's like, I think it'd be really great at doing this. Um, you know, you, you kind of have a knack for this. And so, um, I, I moved back here to Bloomington and then I started my, um, I started the, uh, the counseling psych program through the school of education also, mm-hmm. um, in, um, in 2010, um, and then finished that degree in 2013. And so kind of in the work I did, um, um, either through, um, um, experiences through um, my education, kind of like formalized educational experiences in my master's program. And then kind of afterwards, I've worked kind of all over the board in the realm of counseling. And Mm so kind of within that realm, um, I worked at uh, several nonprofits. Um, I worked, um, at two uh, private schools. Um, I worked at a women's shelter actually, um, in the County I'm from, which is um, one, one County South of here Mm -hmm. down in Bedford. Um, I worked at a women's shelter there um, and helped open that shelter. Mm-hmm. And um, and um, then I started working here at IU. Um, right around the same time, I started working at the Office of Substance Use Intervention Services, what mm-hmm. used to be called OASIS mm-hmm. here at IU. Um, I started my doctoral program mm-hmm. um, in learning and developmental science mm-hmm. through the School of Education also. Yeah. Um, so I started teaching at that time. Um, and so... Um, taught some different classes within the realm of like human development and then did some work through the student academic center also, um, where I taught. Um, so I've taught, um, child development, adolescent development, um, and through student academic center specifically, um, uh, a class just about like kind of resource acquisition and networking and that kind of thing. Um, it was great. Um, then, um, you know, I, uh, I did that for quite a while and, um, about a year ago, um, um, a little less than, uh, IU was um, kind of introducing this idea of like formalizing a collegiate recovery community mm-hmm. on campus. Yeah. Um, I've worked a lot with people um, um, with um, kind of various ranges of substance use disorders and kind of within the realm of substance use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is something that I feel really passionately about um, and feel really passionately about that um, kind of clinical work. Yeah. Um, and um, so um, I had some conversations with some different people about that position um, and what that position um, was going to look like, mm-hmm. kind of um, directing and overseeing collegiate recovery efforts on, like, on IU's campus. And so um, long story short, um, I interviewed for that job, um, and here I am. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've uh, done a lot of different things. I love so, that. Yeah, it's great. It's been great. Yeah. I want to take you back to that period of time when you were working in the service industry and sure. really... Just kind of trying to get your footing and exploring what your options were. I, so many students are always looking for like just the insight of others of like what worked for them. When you were in that period of time, what were the kind of things that you were doing to help kind of deepen the experience of what you were hoping to do and like really explore yourself? You know, I wasn't, um, I really wasn't sure what um, I was looking to do or what I was going to do. Um, you know, I've always been pretty intuitive. So I kind of knew that, that finding a, I, I kind of knew that the things I, I majored in, I did not want to pursue at that time. Mm-hmm. And I was really, um, I was really kind of adamant about like, uh, and, and really had a strong aversion to having a sort of conventional kind of nine to five like job. Mm-hmm. It, that just was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, really at that time, that was not for me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think I knew, um, 
what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to do that. Um, And um, I also think, um, and I thought a lot about this, I also think, you know, um, getting an undergrad degree is really like, um, is really kind of a race. It takes a lot of work. Um, And so, you know, from your whole school experience from like high school to getting an undergrad degree, um, I think it can be um, really tedious and really arduous. And so I really just wanted something that I didn't have to like put a lot of um, kind of mental effort into doing. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted something where I could like, um, I could go and work and make some money and, um, you know, um, kind of have the ability and time to figure out like what I wanted to do instead of kind of choosing something I wasn't like certain about. Um, and so really what I did in that time, um, you know, I, I developed a lot of friendships. I, I really, um, I also really developed, um, networking skill, Mm -hmm. like more than anything. That's really what it gave me. It gave me the ability, um, to kind of talk to like just anybody. I mean, I could talk to, um, just a range of people. And so, and it really built up my confidence in that realm. I've always been a relatively confident person, but Mm. that was kind of the thing that, um, helped me to procure that kind of skill set was being able to just talk to anybody and like approach anybody and like navigate the vicissitudes of, you know, working in a, in the service industry and like all the people that you encounter, um, and the kind of challenges you encounter. So, you know, it allowed me, to, you know, work hard and do some like actual physical work yeah. and like just work hard um, and make some money. Um, I developed a lot of uh, really good friendships at that time. Um, but really what it gave me more than anything was like the ability to like sit back and like figure out like what what it was I wanted to do next. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. When when you, so you work in the helping professions and we have a ton yeah. of students come in that are curious about the helping professions but haven't really clarified what that looks like yet for them. They'll say, I really want my career to be one where I help people but I might not yet know how I want to help or who I want to help. So share a little bit if you don't mind about how you really kind of focused in on the populations and the way in which you've worked as a counselor yeah. and, and what um, that looked like for you to figure that out. Yeah, it's... um I think it really speaks to the uh, idea of having um, of of do, doing a lot of things that give you a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first started grad school, I was like pretty certain, um, like I had this idea of what I wanted to do, um, and I'm still doing part of that. But it really, like, when I think back to that, I'm in a very different place than what I thought I would be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's like. Going into a helping profession, I think you have this idea, you know, that everyone's like Sigmund Freud, like, you know, (laughs) sitting on a couch, like, you know, doing psychoanalysis and that kind of thing. But, you know, um, it it deviated really far away from that. You know, Mm. I think being in a counseling program, and I think that's kind of the distinction in helping professions. You know, there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. You know, being in a counseling program is very different than being in a social work program, Mm -hmm. even though they they do very similar things. Yeah. I was very fortunate because a lot of my um, kind of clinical experience was um, with social workers. And so I had a really strong kind of theoretical counseling background, but I was clinically, I was around a lot of people who were doing social work, mm-hmm. like, uh, and who had social work degrees. And so they were doing things that you don't talk a lot about in counseling. Um, you know, counseling is very focused on like, this sort of therapeutic process and the idea of like doing therapy and the idea of like um, talk as like kind of a change agent. Um, And it's very clinical. And social work, I think, can look very different. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the way in which the training that social workers receive, it, it looks a little bit different. Um, and so you think in more of a systems level. And I think yeah. I was kind of, I kind of learned to think in a systems kind of way. Yeah. Um, and I love, I love my background in counseling psych. I think one of the, the one of the domains in which um, it's kind of lacking is you don't get that like total kind of systems perspective where yeah. it's like sometimes it's like, uh, and I quickly learned this, somebody doesn't need talk therapy. Like what they need is like, they need to know how to get like food stamps yeah, or the, yeah, resources. how to get resources <laughs> yeah. um, or where to go. And that's very, that, that, that piece of that is kind of didactic, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of um, you sharing information or telling somebody about something. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much this like back and forth versus, you know, um, sharing information, you know, you know, I tell people all the time now, like when we're, when we're talking, I'm like, you know, whether it's like in a, in a, in a clinical setting or not, I'm like, you know, you're here to like utilize the information I have in my brain. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't always get that. If I, I just say her nod all the mm-hmm. time, right. That <laughs> requires us like having a conversation. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, it's like where I am now looks very different than, than where I thought I would be. Yeah. Um, Sounds like you kept a flexibility going throughout it all to just be curious about it. I too. was, I tried, um, and, um, I was really, I was really fortunate when I, the, the primary place where I worked, um, um, I worked at a, like a, a very large nonprofit here in town, mm-hmm. um, and we worked with lower income people and just people who like were uninsured and didn't have a lot access to a lot of resources. When I was doing my internship there, I also um, they approached me about doing um, a really part time job there, mm-hmm. and so I would field all the phone calls that would come in to access resources, and we had a huge staff, so I was the person who would kind of collect the information from mm-hmm. people calling in, and I would distribute the cases. In part, I was really lucky because then, like when cases came in. I could kind of pick my caseload. And so one of the things I did was I intentionally chose people from like just a really large sweep of the population kind of all over the board. And so I tried a lot of different things. I did some couples counseling. Um, um, I did family work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just did a lot of things that I didn't really have that much training in. Mm -hmm. Um, But I knew it was important for me to do to figure out whether or not I liked doing them. Um, You know, I worked in schools. um, I did outreach work. I mean, I just did like, I did a lot of different things in part. Well, in large part, because I knew that was the only way to figure out like what it was I was actually going to enjoy doing and what I was not going to enjoy doing. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, Travis, we have sadly only time for one more question. And we sure. always end our interviews with this question for all of our guests. Yeah. And that is, if you could sit down with your 18-year-old college freshman self and give them one nugget of career advice, what would it be? Oh, I like, without a doubt, it's like I can't, um, I can't stress the importance of just like networking and like building uh, like a collection of like resources and connections for yourself. It's like, you know, it's like... Uh, being a first-generation college student, um, you know, it's like statistically that's one thing that, you know, a lot, a lot of populations have a hard time doing. They have a hard time, like, kind of reaching out to people mm-hmm. and, like, asking for help and, like, building a network for themselves. Yeah. And it really speaks to the um, the importance of doing that because it's like, you know, that's how, that's how you learn things. That's how you get information. Yeah. Um, that's how you acquire knowledge. So it's like the more that you can, you know, reach out to people and talk to people and, you know, build connections for yourself, the better. Yeah. yeah. Well, Travis, thank you so much for coming and joining yeah, thank us you today for on Major me. Choices. Yeah, it's been great to talk to you and so many of our students that want to work directly with people in this kind of helping way. I feel like they sure. would really benefit from hearing your insight. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Yeah. Travis Lawson is the coordinator for the Collegiate Recovery Community at Indiana University.
Friends, thanks so much for joining us again today on Major Choices, a podcast all about designing the career you want. Special thanks today for our guest, Travis Lawson, as well as to our student creatives, graphic designer Brianna Weiss for the Major Choices logo, and Dylan Slagle for the original music soundtrack. If you like what you heard, subscribe to Major Choices, rate and review us. It really, really, really helps us to have others find us out there in podcast land. As always, we hope that this conversation sparked something within you to reflect on as you design your career path ahead. These decisions can often weigh so heavy, but remember that you are not alone. As students at Indiana University, you each have a career coach that is available to guide you for free with in-person career counseling. We encourage all University Division students to visit the Career Development Center, located in two convenient locations, Center Campus at the Wells Library and in the Northwest neighborhood in the Academic Support Center in the Briscoe Quadrangle. Our one-on-one guidance will make the difference when it comes to career planning and help to pick a major and a career path that you will love. You can contact the Career Development Center at iucareer at indiana.edu. Join us next time as we talk about decision fatigue and also how to care for ourselves so that we can be resilient when making these major choices of life. (laughs) So finally, in the words of Oscar Wilde, be yourself because everyone else is taken. Until next time, friends, be well.